0: as has been referenced already by the passing of peace and by a beautiful scripture from Isaiah around peacemaking. This is the week of peace. Um, It's our theme for today. It will drive our message today. And so we'll light the candle, hopefully. And there's a tension... There's a tension with the theme of peace. We've declared in the scripture, we've declared to one another that, that because Christ is among us and with us and what we celebrate at Christmas, that peace is, peace is real. Um, but I could have chosen anything to demonstrate the reality of how broken and how unpeaceful the world is that we live in. And, and what's on my mind as a parent um, it's something that just happened a few moments, a few, a few minutes from here, not too long ago, but seems like forever ago in the media. Mm-hmm. On November 14th, when a teenager walked into his high school and killed himself and killed other, two other people. Doesn't sound very peaceful. Or on Wednesday, in Hawaii at Pearl Harbor, when three more lives, similar kind of violence, or Friday in Pensacola, Florida, very similar day, similar story. And I think the sad part is because it's just a couple of people, maybe just three victims, it gets about six hours in our minds, six hours on the news, and we move on. You have to have more, more more deaths to really be a story these days. So how is it that it's true? How is it that the world that you and I live in, because of all of this, all of the songs, and because of Jesus, that we can look at one another and say, Peace? The contrast of the darkness of this world, the contrast of the darkness in life, and this tension drives our time in the Word today. We said last week that we need a little Christmas, we need a little peace. We need to understand how it's true that Jesus is peace and Jesus brings peace. We need Jesus to be bigger this Christmas, what we talked about last week. We need a bigger season. We need a bigger Jesus. This world needs a bigger Jesus than the one that gets declared and and, uh, characterized. We need an encounter with Jesus through his word this Christmas that actually might make us experience life differently. And we're going to get to the text in a moment, but last week what we saw was that Jesus has this shocking beginning that oftentimes in the Christmas narrative, we start with, with Mary being becoming pregnant and, and the facts around his earthly arrival, but John tells us that the Word was with God from the beginning, that Jesus is the active agent of, the active agent in creation. We saw that Jesus has always been around from the beginning of time, that Jesus has always existed in relationship, that Jesus has always been creating and recreating, not just the earth and all of creation, but creating ways for us, His creation, to be in relationship with God. And if there's one main point from last week that I want us to hold on to as we continue in the text today, It's in verse 3, and it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And you remember we nodded over to Colossians chapter 1, where uh, it gets a little more detailed. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And hear this, all things have been created through him and for him. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, and this includes you, and it includes me. And this is why, if you remember last week, Christmas is about Jesus, but it's also about you. It's about that Jesus is so into you. Jesus is so fond of you. Jesus is so in love with you that Christmas is his arrival to create relationship with us. God with us. And not only is Jesus coming to this world to create relationship with God, but in doing so, recreates us and to be the people that we were always created to be. This is Christmas. This is worth celebrating. And so we come to peace. And that tension. And what does it mean that if we were created by Jesus, for Jesus, in a world that is so hard, in a world that is so dark, in a world that is so lacking of peace, how does all this come together? How might we make sense today of being created for Jesus, by Jesus, the promise of peace in a very unpeaceful time, in a very unpeaceful world? And so in the text today, I think we'll get a glimpse into that. And my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would awaken and make some connections. That, yes, you would own the, con- I hope you own the contrast of light and darkness. That you own the contrast of peace and difficulty. And you will see how marvelous Jesus is in this text. And why all of the pomp and circumstance of Christmas Is around because what we are celebrating is incredible. And so, with this said, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're continuing on in John. Today's, I know your worship folder says we're going to go to nine, but you can handle the change. We're going to go just through eight. And really, I really want you to hear four and five. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I told you, we're going to be in 4 and 5 for the majority of this text, but I want you to understand a little bit how to continue to read through this. So when it comes to verses 6 and 8, all this kind of talk about John the Baptist and why John is here, um, uh, uh, or John the author, why John is here, let me quickly give you some commentary. Some commentators say that this is just best read as a footnote, um, to establish authorship, to establish the truth of John's testimony and history. And possibly squelch some assumptions that John had some divine status. I want you to simply understand verses 6, 7, and 8 as John inserting both his humanness and his authorship. I think that just helps. That this is, and we'll see later in the text, this is John having experience with Jesus, a human being. And he is writing it down. Why? Because John 20, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so in many ways, John's authorship John's attempt to capture his experience and the truth of Jesus is an opportunity all of us can have as well because we're not of divine status either that we have hopefully experienced Jesus and we can give testimony to Jesus so that others might believe. So I just want you to understand 6, 7, and 8 in that way. But really what we see in verses 4 and 5 become major themes through the book of John. Two words in particular that are inserted here for the first time in John and they're going to show up many other times in the book of John. The word light. Light is going to show up, I think, 20 times. No, no fewer than 20 times in the book of John. The word light. So some of you have done this where you do a word study, where you follow a word through the scripture and just follow what's happening and what the meaning is and get an appreciation for what the writer is doing. The word life shows up over 35 times in the book of John. So clearly these are big words. They're big words throughout his gospel, and they're going to serve as big centering words for us today. Um, these words are worth studying, and so we're only going to do a, a, a little bit of that this morning. I encourage you as you continue to read your Bibles, I pray this month and over the course of your, your living, um, that you might pay special attention to these words in the book of John, and we'll try to do them some justice today. But in verses 4 and 5, I want to suggest to you there's, there's four things we ought to know four things we have to notice, and and we're going to soak them in very, um, don't worry, the sermon won't be slow, although it might, um, but we're going to soak in kind of half verse at a time. First thing I want you to see, notice what John is saying. He's saying that life is found in Jesus. In him, was life. Now remember, we have just heard that we were created, everything that's been created has been created by Jesus. Colossians tells us everything that he's ever created was for Jesus, by Jesus. And because of that, we are finding that that now there's life that's to be found in his name. He doesn't just create something and set it off, that there's a living that's connected to the creation. And in the book of John, there's a few major ways that life can be understood. The most popular ones, for those of us who have been around, we're familiar with John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever so believes in him shall have eternal life. Eternal life. So part of John, he's saying life, Jesus being the place where life is found, there's a duration aspect to life. There's an eternal life. book of John goes over that. That when Jesus comes to give us life, he gives it to us so that we can have an eternal existence with God. It reaches beyond our earthly experience. That's an aspect of life. But then there's another scripture, a very famous one, John 10.10, that says the thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give them life and give it to the full to give abundantly. So there's this eternal aspect of life, this duration, but there's also this quality of life for why we exist on earth too. So oftentimes, one of those gets uh, emphasized over the other. But Jesus has come to give us life. Life is found in Jesus, both eternal life and also a way of living and existing on earth right here, right now for all of us that Jesus brings. Both of these meanings connect to the idea that life is found in Jesus. What this is saying is that our deepest longings are only fully satisfied in jesus we were created by jesus for jesus and life is then found in jesus it's who we were created by and for which means that jesus is the only one that can fully satisfy both our eternal longings for existence and significance and also our earthly reality only jesus can real life be found And a lot of us are saying amen, but the truth of the matter is that most of us spend most of our time searching and trying to fill our lives with other things that might fully satisfy us. So if I just make enough money, I'll be more satisfied. If I just have the the children turn out the right way, I'll be fully satisfied. If I could just get married, I'd be fully satisfied. If I could just have enough sex, if I can just have enough achievement, if I can just Fill in the blank, we spend most of our human's life trying to find satisfaction in life in other places but Jesus. And when John says that in him was life, it's a bold declaration that the only place for satisfaction in life is found in Jesus. Now, you know this because I talk about them all the time. You know, I am super into my wife, I think she's pretty amazing. And her, what she does for a living, watching people transform, she's an educator, the way she thinks about the world, I think she's stunning and beautiful, every single aspect of that. I'm so into my boys. Henry woke up with me today. Uh, we went to Starbucks. He sat in my office. He had to sit through this whole thing, and he did really well today. I got a youngest one who is just a goofball and super fun, now I want you to, I am, I am way into them. I'm into them more than I'm into you, but guess what? They in and of themselves will never fully satisfy me. I wasn't created by Henry for Henry. I wasn't created by Jenny for Jenny. I wasn't created by Henry for Henry. only. Created by Jesus, for Jesus, and they are amazing, good, and beautiful gifts that fall into that quality of life. And through relationship with them, I can fully understand more how much God is into me. But they will never satisfy me because I wasn't created by them and for them. And in the same way, whatever your thing is, that you keep putting hope in, that somehow this will be the thing that will bring full satisfaction... John is saying it's only in Jesus where life can be found. So life is found in Jesus. Second thing I want us to see continuing in verse 4. Life not only found in Jesus, but life becomes illuminated in Jesus. When John goes on to say and that life, that life that is found in Jesus was the light of all mankind. So there's a truth There's a truth here that I want you to see. This all mankind, I think it's just an important footnote. It's not the point of the sermon. Notice this. We've just been in the book of Acts where the gospel has started to spread. Every people group, every person. This is super intentional. When John's writing this, we still had a chosen people. We had a, a, God had a preference. He had his, his, his nation. John from very early on, by the way, this thing's going global. All mankind, all. Jesus is giving life to all. That's an important footnote. But there, when he says that life is being light, this goes back to the quality of life. That's where I want to focus. Because that's our tension, is peace. How do we experience peace? How, do we, how is it possible to have light life illuminated in the world that you and I live in? The purpose of life being found in Jesus, what does it mean for life to be illuminated? For Jesus to make life lit up, illuminated. So there's three aspects of light from a biblical perspective, and this is the majority of our message, so when this goes a little longer, don't worry, we'll we'll speed up. I want you to know, in the Bible, when light is being spoken about early on, light is something that brings order from chaos. Remember, John's gospel is so deeply tied to Genesis that That we have to go back to Genesis to see what, what what's happening with light at the very beginning of the scripture, because light is showing up at the very beginning of John. So in Genesis, the very first words written in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now listen to this. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light and God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness Genesis 1 1 to 4 prior to light being created it says that the earth was formless way to understand that is that there was chaos so when God creates light what he is doing is bringing order he's bringing order over the formless he's bringing form to the formless he's bringing order to the chaos so notice how God speaks. This is where we're going we're to get there in a couple of weeks, but I'll give you a little teaser. When he speaks, let there be light. This is Jesus. This is the active word, the active agent of creation. When that speaking, Jesus is in that creating. But this means that life illuminated. Life in Jesus is a life in the light in which Jesus brings order from Chaos. Which means as chaotic and crazy as the world is that you and I live in, that by Jesus bringing light to all mankind, that there is order in that. As crazy as your life is, it, it means that there's a relationship, an intimacy with God, where order can come from the chaos. My story of getting to Lake Avenue, I, it's been a while. John Wilson was a pastor at Lake Avenue Church, middle school pastor. Friends, I flunked out of college. I gained 50 pounds. I still have 45 of them. (laughs) I was depressed. And this guy who worked at Lake Avenue Church looked at me and said, You look terrible. Move to Pasadena and start your life over. It was 20 years ago. My life was chaotic. I was supposed to marry somebody, and she broke my heart, and I flunked out of school, and I I had no direction. I I didn't even know what I was doing the next day. And I give testimony that from the chaos of my life, Jesus has brought order. And that's what Jesus does. So light brings order from chaos in the Bible. Another aspect of light in the Bible is it exposes what is present. Light reveals, light exposes. Life illuminated by Jesus is a life in which the truth of how we are seen by God can be seen in the light. And I've already mentioned it. Do you know that Jesus is super into you? He's crazy about you, he loves you. And when we understand that Jesus brings, reveals to us the truth about how we are seen by God, It allows us to understand who we really are and how valuable we really are. Revealing light reveals to all of us just how much God loves us. But revealing light also exposes how complicated we are in return. It exposes our sin. It exposes our insecurity. It exposes our shame. It exposes all the realities of being human and right next door to the reality of how into us God is, so that we can be amazingly loved, sacrificially loved by Jesus, and yet light also reveals how complicated and hard it is for us to grasp that truth. I, I love this text in Isaiah that captures this reality of, of the two parts of revealing light. In Isaiah 9-2, the people were walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This great light is the light of Jesus, life that's found in Jesus, the reality of how crazy Jesus is about you and me. And the truth that runs right alongside in this Isaiah text is the truth of this point is that there is real darkness, that we walk in darkness, that we live in the land of deep darkness so that this reality of being amazingly loved by Jesus but living very dark lives Right alongside, this is revealing light. So we have light in the scripture that makes uh, take makes order from chaos. We have light in the scripture that talks about revealing who God is, also revealing who we are. But this other aspect of light helps guide us forward. This is where the title of the sermon starts to make sense. The night light is on. I have children. We're all about night lights at our house. They help us all move forward in the midst of the darkness of the night. They help guide us to places we simply cannot see without them. And in this same way, life illuminated, a life in Jesus, is life that is guided, that is moving towards meaning, toward this peace we're talking about. We don't put nightlights on just to intellectually know that there's a possibility of being something, you know, good. the lights on, we're good. No, they're there for a use. They're there for a purpose. Which means that life illuminated with Jesus isn't just an intellectual pursuit of knowing that Jesus is light and he can illuminate our lives, and that could be true. It's actually communicated so that we might actually live Differently and live in the light, to be guided in the midst of the darkness and the, the unrest and the difficulty of this world is that if life illuminated in Jesus guides us, then we have this ability to navigate this tension, to navigate this contrast in our world. Life has a purpose. I love the John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So to the contrary of what many might think, life on earth is not to be endured, friends. Life on earth is to be enjoyed. It's to be experienced to the full. And the crazy thing about the scripture and the amazing thing about Jesus is he takes our categories of what full life should look like, and he rearranges it to where the way of living of Jesus is so profoundly addictive in all the right ways, so profoundly joyful, so profoundly purposeful that it means that we don't even go out to lunch differently after church, that we sit in a space and we treat those who serve us with the deepest kind of respect and love and generosity because Jesus has done that for us. Life Illuminated, Life revealed, life guided is a life worth living. So to the contrary of what some of us think, life is not just simply to be endured, it's to be enjoyed, it's to be experienced to the full, but this is where the tension comes in. And the tension shows up in the next verse. Because the reality is that darkness is. Darkness is. The light shines, look at that word, shines, in the darkness, notice the word. It's a verb with present action. John could have written this to suggest and communicated that because of Jesus, because of the word becoming flesh, that there's no more darkness. But what we can simply see here is that darkness is. Now we rush to the, I know you're getting there, we're going to get there, don't worry. I don't want you to get past the reality of darkness for a moment. There is a present reality of darkness in the world that you and I live in. This is where our theology can hurt us because there's this notion, and it is true. I mean, we're going to see in a moment that the, the, the darkness can't be overcome by the light, but we're so quick to get to that that it's hard sometimes for us to understand the depth of darkness in the world. And this is why many people who follow Jesus over history, and even currently we have this reputation where we minimize pain on this earth and we over-spiritualize it. I was teaching a class this week, and, and there was a person in my class who talked about uh, two weeks before he went to college, his father passed away, died. And he said all these well-intended people from the church came up to him and gave him all these verses that everything's okay. And he goes, it wasn't okay. He goes, we're so quick to rush people to, it's Okay. The, the reality is that the light shines, it's present action, it's doing something in the midst of the reality of darkness. And so why is there darkness? Well, there's sin in this world. You and I live in a broken and fractured world. And because of that, there's just from DNA to the creation itself, to my human nature, to your human nature, we live in a broken, broken world. And there are realities that we intentionally participate in. There are realities of just being in a broken world that show up all the time. And it's dark. There's also a, darkness, a reality of darkness because of other people's choices we experience darkness. Because of somebody else's sin, we become affected by that. You know, one of the hardest things we're wrapping our heads around is that for, I think, 12 years we've had this amazing partnership in our community this time of year with this neighborhood Christmas party, we call it the Posada, and this year we're not doing it, and here's why. Because darkness is. And our neighbors who live in this neighborhood right now, like literally the nighttime is not a safe place for them in the world that we live in. There's fear that comes with the night. That's just the Genesis world we live in. There's also the effects of other people's sin, other people who speak on behalf of us as a church or as a, as, a, as a group that would suggest to our neighbors that as much as we eternally love them, that their life on this earth doesn't matter to Christians. That's darkness. So the same neighbors in which we dreamed up this thing have said, we can't do it this year. So we lament that and, and we pray and we ask God to restore and bring light to darkness. See, darkness is... If there wasn't darkness, what good is light? This is the journey of Christmas, which brings me to this last point. As true as darkness is, notice what the scripture says, darkness can't. It just can't. The darkness has not overcome it. This can be translated to say the darkness has not understood The darkness has not overpowered the light of Jesus. And as true as darkness is, the light wins. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is ultimately what we celebrate at Easter. It's what we sing, Jesus is brighter. Christmas is about the light, Jesus coming into this world. And that light, Jesus, has not and will not be overcome by the darkness. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross? The scripture tells us that the whole earth went dark. Darkness is on probably the the worst day of human history, when God's own creation killed him, the reaction of the creation of God was that it it went dark, middle of the day. But in that text, and what will continue on, is it didn't stay dark forever. Darkness is, but darkness didn't win. Darkness doesn't win, because it doesn't stay dark forever. Easter morning happened, The night over that the night of the night day of darkness was overcome. We've read in the book of Acts, the fire of the Holy Spirit falls, and as dark as dark can be, it will never overcome, it will never overpower, it can't even understand the light of Christ. And this truth is probably speaking to a few of you right now, I pray. Because the darkness in your life is so big. So unexpected. This was the week where you where you found out about your job, about your health, about your family. There's something that has hit you so heavy and so dark, and you need to be reminded today or learn for the first time that it's dark, yes, but darkness can't win. The reality of your darkness is big. We have to own that, church. But we also get to own this truth of Scripture that the light overcomes the darkness. See, the reality of some of your darkness isn't just a circumstance that happened to you this week. The the darkness of some of your life is the choices that you are making and have been making for years. To give give into temptation, to give into lies, to give into the shame of your past that prevents you from living in freedom in the future. And the truth of today's message and the truth of Christmas is that the life and light of Christ is brighter than even the darkest choices you've made. And where there is chaos in your life, there can be peace. Where there is shame in your life, there can be freedom. Where it seems like the lies are winning, the lies about how little God thinks of you, the truth is that God is mad about you, wild about you, so in love with you. And and brothers and sisters at Lake Avenue Church, this is not some abstract hope that church folks cling to. If you're visiting us and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe that's some of the reputation is that Christians just deny how hard it is, and we hope that one day... This isn't... I'm not talking about abstract hope, because I know you. I know your stories. I know a lot of your stories. And this is a church with testimony like the book of John. Not just people with some future, abstract, distant hope. No, people with stories of how this is all very true. That my life was dark, but the light of Jesus transformed everything. This is a church full of testimony... Full of story, and you know that Jesus gave you those testimonies and those stories, so like John, that others may come to believe that Jesus, so your story is needed. It's not to hoard, it's to give out. So, some questions I want you to think about. Some questions, because living in this reality, darkness is, but darkness can't, that life is to be found in Jesus, and there's this way of living where we can be illuminated. Where, there, where order can come, where we can, be, we, can re, be, we can see how much God loves us, and we can be guided to have purpose in this life, that, that is big, that's a big message, it's a big ask, and that's the bigness of Scripture. So I think some helpful questions to contemplate, and I'm going to give you time to do it, is where does it seem that darkness is winning? Where does it seem that darkness is winning, in your own life or in this world? Because I'll admit to you, there are plenty of moments where I feel like darkness is winning. Where even when I squint in some, some way, some sense of this part of existing these days, it's like I think, I'm i hoping I see light or is that that light you generate when you close your eyes? Is that real light? Own what feels dark. Because if we can own what feels dark, I guarantee you when the light shows up, we will know the light has shown up. So whether it be your sin, your shame, the stress of your life, own what feels dark so that you can be convinced when the light comes where that light has come from. For some of you, the question is, have you found real life yet, or are you still searching to fill? Are you wrestling right now that Jeff just said his wife can't fully satisfy him? His kids can't, because the narrative says that should, Like that that's what it's all about. Own a home, have a spouse, get a really good car, like a minivan, (laughs) and you've arrived. But you know what happens, right? The home needs repairs. Your kids aren't perfect. You're not perfect. The kind of vows you've taken with your spouse are very difficult to live day in and day out, and the brokenness can win, and we keep searching. If we just... And then... That will never happen. Maybe the message for you today is that this Christmas, Jesus is the one that will only satisfy you. And where can our lives be illuminated? In Lake Avenue Church, I think there's a couple of things. I think the church of Jesus in general is struggling from apathy. And we know all these truths. We know that our lives have been changed, like we've lived darkness and we have a testimony and we're just out of energy for all of it. And the, the amount of work that it would take to really like re kind of a way of living with Jesus that I once had, I just feel so distant. So the shame of where we are doesn't allow us to have energy and excitement for the present. I think we need some illumination there. I think there's some guidance that the light of Christ can bring to us. Some of us are so struggling with sin, and, and not just the sin of this world, like sin, sin, like stuff you know, stuff you intend to do when you leave here today. Relationships you're going to continue, practices that you are involved in, the, the, the moral issues, the ethical issues that, you, that you've given into at work. You have every intention of leaving this place and continuing those things because you're just, and I'm asking, and I think Jesus is asking, can something new be revealed to you about how wild Jesus is about you that it would redirect your whole purpose? Some of us are living lives of chaos. And the idea of Jesus bringing order to our lives, but sign me up. And when we really contemplate what life is about, when we really understand why Jesus has come at Christmas, what all this is about, it reorders us in such a way where purpose happens. I, I want to give you some time to reflect on this. And so I've asked Jeremy to come forward. And there's a, I'm, I'm really into Christmas music, um, so we're going to soak it in. But there's a, a Christmas song called In the Bleak Midwinter, It actually was a poem. And I did all this research this week, so don't think I knew all this till this week. (laughs) Uh, Christina Rossetti wrote this poem first in 1872. It wasn't actually put to music till years later, and the version that that Jeremy's going to sing dates back to like 1911, but more famously, done by James Taylor. So, what I love about this song, both in lyric and in style and composition, is that it There's a contrast that's happening. Just the music itself. If you didn't listen to the the words, there's just a contrast. In the lyrics themselves, there's a contrast between the first and second coming of Jesus. There's a contrast between baby Jesus having an earthly mother and a heavenly father. A contrast between the humility of Jesus' birth alongside the reality of being a king. So this song will serve us well to have a little time to reflect on the same kind of contrast we're talking about contrast of dark and light, a contrast of life and death, which is the opposite, when we don't find our significance in Jesus, our identity in Christ. And this contrast isn't one just for this morning. This is the tension and contrast of Christmas. We can't understand what's breaking forth in the baby Jesus and the light of the world and joy to the world. And hark the herald angels sing. That is breaking in to a world that was so and is so dark. And so if our Christmas is all level 10 energy and optimism, where it break, where, how can it break forth from there? I want you to sit in the darkness a little bit so that Christmas can be bigger, so that Jesus can be bigger. So during this song, Reflect. Reflect.